Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Amira Hall, international spirit medium, world-class psychic mentor, intuitive life coach, author, and quantum healing pioneer who had a near-death experience while traveling in Egypt. And today we're going to learn about it. Amira, thank you so much for being my guest today and welcome. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure and I'm just thrilled for what might come through. (laughs) Well, what were you doing in Egypt and how did you have that NDE? Well, that that actually started probably a decade before. There was a little buildup to that, right? Um, I think what's powerfully important right now is back in 1991, the doctors told me death or wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I think that was my first mini near-death experience because I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue, got so sick. I lost my dad. He passed away. I was so sick, I couldn't work, and I was going through a divorce. And I feel like that triggered me into seeking, well, being in so much pain from every angle, it seems, I had to start digging and going deep within. I think my psychic abilities were really starting to resurrect at the time, but I was so full of pain and anger and grief. There was a journey there of me healing that. And as I got stronger, and more curious about the unseen world and where it was leading me that then I was guided to take a journey to Peru. And it was on this journey in Peru that I had a vision while I was working in the jungle with a shaman that I was a star seed and I came through a stargate into early Egypt on the planet. And this was all new information for me that I had never explored So the following year, I decided I've got to go to Egypt. So that was the the yearning within me of looking for something more, something that, uh, you know, I was starting to rebuild my life in terms of strength and my get back in my career and feeling good about myself. But there was still something missing. There was something nudging me and pulling me. And so that journey, I found a flyer by chance. I didn't know anybody on the trip, but I went on this journey that literally opened me up in ways, again, I couldn't have imagined or predicted or expected. In fact, Egypt wasn't even on my bucket list, if imagine that. I remember in grade school doing reports about the Egyptians or 
you know, studying mummies and things like that. But other than that, I just didn't have a deep fascination with it. And well, I, at the time was making jewelry from uh, semi-precious gemstones. And so I was hoping that perhaps I could score a little pack of beads <laughs> of antiquities. So I had a friend outside the Valley of the Kings where there were all these small little factories. And I thought, well, if I could just get them, they must know how I could find these little beads. So I asked a few people and sure enough, they manifested these little antiquities, handful of antiquities. So I was going back to pay for these beads on my last day in Egypt. So keep in mind, this was just outside the Valley of the Kings where all the kings of the, the pharaohs have been buried for millennia, right? So it's a giant graveyard, you could say, you know, of antiquities. So we go back there and it was, um, it was one of those things, well, in Egypt, especially if you know somebody, it's not a process of just handing over the cash. You, you sit, you visit, you have some tea, you, you talk. It's a, it's a social ceremony, I guess you could say, or mini ritual. Because I was a friend of a friend there, um, they brought out pot and a joint. And I said, politely, thank you. I don't smoke. And Mohammed, who was the, the, owner of the shop, the factory that was selling me the beads, he just went ballistic and he's shouting in Arabic and he's really, he was really offended. And I, I thought, well, you know, no, thank you. I'm being very polite in my manner, in my cultural way. Then I realized, oh my God, I've offended this man. He's shouting, it's the best, it's the best. And I'm the only lady, I'm the only American there. And I felt kind of vulnerable you know, not accustomed to the shouting and what was going to happen next. And so I thought, well, geez, you know, I've smoked pot a few times before, nothing ever happened. Maybe I should just, you know, be participant here. It'll go, the joint will go around. All of a sudden guys, 10 guys showed up in the room and everybody wanted a hit and we'll just, I'll just be on my way. Nothing, it won't phase me, right? Well, that didn't quite happen like that. And, uh, so the joint went around twice um, and I was polite. I participated and everybody calmed down, except everybody bounced up when it was finished, ready to leave. And I couldn't get out of the chair. So my legs were frozen, my arms were frozen, and I found myself standing behind myself. So I was standing there and I kept seeing, it was like everybody that was still in the room, I could read their energy field and it was like a life review of them. It was like I was looking at, you know, 10 different screens at Circuit City and every video and movie was playing out. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, I'm leaving it. I'm leaving this world. I got to stay here. And I remember putting my hands out in front of me thinking, I just need some water. I just need some water. If I could just splash my face, then I'll stay in my body. And, um, and well, I remember I must have said something. I don't recall that. I didn't hear that. Um, but when I got, <laughs> got some water in my hands, I remember thinking, oh, shit. My mascara is going to run. <laughs> so it's like, just like, and then I melted. I literally blacked out. From there, they told me that my body stiffened. I fell out of the chair. 
um, my breathing stopped and my heart stopped. Now, I don't have any medical documentation saying so, but they pounded my chest with all their might to get my heart going. And they dragged me out from under the arms, out into the, through the sand, to the street to get a taxi, which is a pickup truck in, on the val, in the village of the, the Valley of the Kings. They propped me up into the driver's and passenger seat of the pickup truck with my head out the window, barreling down the road, giving me, trying to give me some oxygen. <laughs> so it's very rudimentary. I'm a talking primitive, okay? And this was back in 1998, so 22 years ago, 24 years ago. And so um, what happened was, for me, I had no awareness of any of this, that I started where I had a next body awareness was I started shooting through the sky like your background. And that's what I could see. Only the earth was a small little dot way off in the distance. And I was hurling through the night sky. It was like a cosmos of flashing lights and a stream of light. I felt like a stream of light. And I kept getting closer and closer to the earth. And I'm as big as it was behind you. And I'm like, oh my God that's a big place. How am I going to find myself? And I, I was like a bit weirded out in that moment. And then I heard that language of them speaking and I didn't recognize it. And then I went, Oh, Egypt it was Arabic. There was, I could hear the Arabic speaking. And then I realized where I was. It was like a GPS moment. When I located my body, the next phase I remember was trying to get in it felt like putting on wet clothes. Have you ever put on wet clothes or a wetsuit? Sticky and yucky. And it was like, it was hard work. It was really, really hard getting back in my body. Then the light outside myself, because it was daylight in the middle of the day in Egypt, it was incredibly bright light. My eyes, I couldn't open my eyes. I couldn't open my eyes. And I could hear the, the voices in the pickup truck. And I sort of moved my hand around trying to find where my friend was. And I just touched his arm just saying, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. Because I, I, I knew and sensed the tension. I felt complete peace, except I could feel my body my bowels. I needed a bathroom. I said to them, where are you taking me? They said, well, they shouted back and forth in Arabic. I, I think they were so stressed out at the time that they forgot to speak English. You know, they would answer me in Arabic and then, and then they'd say it in English. And so I said, um, I need a bathroom. And they said they were taking me to the hospital. And my next thought was, Oh shit, that's going to kill me. That place is, we're talking primitive Egypt here. I do not want to go there. So I didn't have any awareness of what had happened to me at that moment. And until then they had to literally, they brought me to the brother-in-law's house. They carried me up three flights of stairs. I couldn't walk. I had no strength and brought me into the toilet. And this is a big deal because they only had these primitive forms of bathrooms there, there, there where you stood up. You had two spots for your feet. So being a lady with a long skirt and all, they wanted me to have a place where it was more suitable. And knew, knowing I couldn't even walk, how was I going to stand up? 
right? So that was a big deal. And then they, they, <laughs> my friend was sitting on the top edge, which was raised, and he just had tears streaming down his face. He goes, you don't understand. He goes, you died. He goes, your breathing stopped. Your heart stopped. He goes, doesn't your chest hurt? I go, not at all. He goes, I was pounding it with both fists to bring you back. And so now my recovery took some time. I was in the bed for about three hours and I had to travel that day from Luxor where I was to Cairo, Cairo to New York, New York, Atlanta, Atlanta, San Diego. It's a long ass trip. When I got to, well, laying there in the bed, what I was starting to see is this entity called Sekhmet. I didn't know her name. I couldn't remember her name. And honestly, after being there for three weeks and seeing all the learning about the history and the deities and the entities and the Egyptology didn't really resonate with me yet. I was magical in, in so many ways, but didn't, it, you know, it just didn't, what can I say, strike a deep nerve of like, wow, I'm really into this stuff. I was raised Catholic. It was like, okay, these are nice stories. Yeah, I can get it. I can buy into it, but it was still in my head. But Sekhmet started appearing to me. And so there was a, a, a window to, the, to my right where the breeze was coming in from the Nile Valley, the beautiful lush green Nile rip, uh, Valley. And then there was these little curtains that were fluttering from the wind. And I'm going, I'm going to look out there. That's real. What I'm seeing in front of me, that's not real. I'm going to keep looking outside because I'm losing my mind here. And so I kept doing that and kept thinking, I don't know what this is. From that moment on, I continued to see things that everybody else didn't see. When I got to the airport, my guides from the previous tour were there. And I said, who is this lion goddess face with a female body? And they said, oh, that's Sekhmet. She's the patron saint for all the healers. She's the like the, the healer of healers. And she, she's coming to you. This is a very powerful omen. And you don't want to piss her off. You really don't want to piss this one off. She is really a, a powerful deity. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's all nice. <laughs> nice story again. Well, I got on the plane, slept all the way through. It's almost, uh, I think, a 12-hour flight. Got to JFK getting off the airplane and all the people in the airport looked to me like black and white paper dolls. And that totally, totally freaked me out. So they were white, black and white, more or less flat, two-dimensional. And I felt the energy of grief and anger and fear and depression. And all I could think was, I don't want to be here. If this is America, this is horrible. Of course, in my mind, I thought it was the country. Um, I, I continued to read my book upside down. I, I was just a point of staring at something that I knew was real. And when I got to San Diego, that, that stopped. Uh, I guess maybe the moist, fresh air coming off the plane or something just snapped me out. But I struggled with depression for about nine months trying to figure out what happened to me. And it wasn't until... I met a healer and it was over the phone that told me, oh, it's easy. You got stuck energy. And over the years, now it took some time 
before the down, I started receiving downloads. I had such energetic blocks of either leaving Egypt or having the experience of leaving my body, perhaps even bringing on some entities from that place at the Valley of the Kings. It, there's a lot of what ifs and possibilities here. But it wasn't until I started doing my own personal work that all my downloads and all my spiritual information and my psychic abilities were turned full blast. Oh, and I want to add, I do believe what that experience did was it cranked open my sixth chakra, the pineal gland, the, the inner vision so wide and so extreme that it was just too much. It's like trying to drink from a water uh, fire hose, right? So, and that's always the caution. And what I really help people to understand is you can want to have your psychic abilities on open, but if you open it too far or everything's not aligned correctly, you're, you know, God only knows what you open up to. So that's when everything began to change because I started to get the information of where I went, what I understood. So with the, with the um, experience, when I started to see where I was in that gap, um, I, I didn't have the light, the tunnel of light. I had a staircase of darkness, but as I rose the staircase, it got lighter and lighter. When I got to the top of the staircase, it was like a, a, an enlightening mist. As I stepped into that, it was like I melted and there was a brighter light around me that I started to vibrate into. So it was like I grew into that and there was a, a telepathic communication that I received was um, this is who you are. You are light. And it was like stepping into the, the, well, I call it the matrix. I didn't know what other word to set into. They told me I was going to have a tour of the all, but I couldn't stay. And that it was beyond my ability to comprehend it all, but that that is why it's the great mystery. I'm not supposed to understand it all. Then it was like my form changed into like this electrical pulsing vibration. It was sort of electrifying energy, kind of a metallic energy. And it was almost like I, I, I zoomed into um, this complex that was, it was intentionally perfection. And it was an architectural structure. It felt the most magnificent of perfection that could ever exist. And it was like being immersed into a boardroom. And there was maybe, I don't know for sure, 10, maybe 12 beings. They were androgynous beings. They all looked identical. And they had these illuminating heads. There was like a lid open from the top of their head. And these beams of light shone, shined from their heads simultaneously into my head. And they communicated that I can access whatever it is that I need to know when I need to know it. It was an access point into the all and all information. To me, it was like stepping into the Akashic records of just knowing. And um, 
And then from there, it was like all of a sudden I was standing in, in this doorway of it was an infinite hallway of doors and there were doors on either side of the hallway and I was informed that I could take any door that I wanted to go into and that I could just step in. So I stepped to the first door on my right and it was a gold door. And as I stepped into this door, it was like this spinning vortex, a kaleidoscope of energy and patterns. And I, I felt myself like numbers and alphabet and, and all of these symbols, just a buzz. But at the same time, I felt the safety of being in my mother's womb. Not that I can remember that, but the only thing I can articulate that experience was the safety, the warmth, the secure sense of being part of something. And, and, and that, that is what everything was. And it was explained to me that every molecule of everything that exists is constructed of this vibration. And the word they gave me for this was love. That this was the fabric of everything that existed. So again, they told, you know, reiterated, you, you're not going to completely comprehend this vastness. Um, but it, it was like there was a spiral and it just kept spinning and spinning like I was in a washing machine almost. And it just kept rotating. And then all of a sudden, boom, I was out of the room and it was back in that corridor again. And so I was like, almost like a rude awakening, I guess, like a birth. And I was like, geez, that was rude. <laughs> I wanted to stay there. <laughs> so then I found myself across the hall. I went straight across. And it was a pink door. And it, heart, almost expecting something similar, I stepped into it, but it wasn't the same at all. It was a vibrant, deep emerald green that wasn't transparent like an emerald. It was actually quite dense and opaque. And I was told here that everything was being transformed. And I had a review at this point. And it was a review of my life. I could see like a timeline. And on this timeline, it was almost like a simultaneous like experience, 3D experience, but yet it showed me a line. And on the timeline was reflecting back to me all the periods or moments in my experience where I had stuck emotions or beliefs, but mostly it was emotional impact that actually created my dis-ease, my dysfunction. So all of the times of relationships failing or my body not working the way I wanted it to, illness, etc., all of that was created by these blocks. And that my journey was to clear the blocks so that I could be in this consistent flow and understanding that I am love and I am light. And that that was my journey to detox, not only on the physical level, but the mental, emotional, and spiritual levels. And from that moment forward, I've been committed to helping people detox their being. And 
it's like that is our journey of understanding we are a human but we're we're a spiritual being first having this human experience and our journey is here and I talk about that in my book is to we are here to understand all that we are and to come back to that memory of love and light how as a human can we integrate that how can we present that how can we fulfill that destiny and of course along with that comes our super spiritual psychic abilities that i believe at this point we have more abilities than have even been addressed at this point i think it's starting to accelerate in such a way that you know what i might just walk through that wall over there <laughs> and and so who knows where the magic is going to show up right but the as more of us raise our vibration it accelerates it changes the whole earth frequency creating more space and a, and a, and a more of an acceleration for others amira thank you so much for sharing that experience do you think we all have psychic abilities and if so what are the triggers to our spiritual awakenings Yes, we are all psychic. Yes, we all have abilities to heal ourselves, And I believe for all so-called psychics to be good, we need to heal ourselves. Uh, mediums, psychics, whatever you want. I lump them sort of together calling everybody a psychic because that is a non-physical ability, right? So all of the gifts from spirit, from clairvoyance to clairsentience, clairaudience, so we all feel things, right? You can walk into a room and feel it's like bad vibes or somebody's having a bad day. Well, that's the, the, the gift of clairsentience or empathy. Everybody has it, right? And so I help people to develop the higher levels of our spiritual abilities in the body, learning how to be ultimately very clear and manage the other centers so that we can be we can have a command central just like you can operate you know the the board here for the recording and our computers we've got all these buttons that's what we have to learn to do with our own energy body so when we start to understand that and the nuances of that that's where we can accelerate right and um, in terms of our spiritual awakening, what I'm witnessing um, at the time when I had my own awakening, you know, there were, there, I want to say too that I've been on the spiritual path for over 40 years now. And along the way, there's been, you know, peaks. There's been several peaks that I would say were another peak to a higher level of spiritual awakening. So there's not just one switch that gets flipped. So I think some people new on their path might think, oh, I had mine last year and now I've, I'm good to go. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> it's not all that easy um, or not that quick. Pardon me. <clears throat> Something wants to come through and it's, um, yeah, let's see what, what comes through. Um, so so this the, usually it's a severe loss that triggers um, um, illness, death, um, as in a near-death experience, or the death of a loved one. It can often be so incredibly traumatic that it just shifts our perspective. And we start asking the questions, you know, what am I here for? What is all this about? You know, I think with the, the experience we've all been through over the last two years, um, that, that's been traumatic, 
even if you didn't have a near-death experience. For us, losing our livelihoods or being locked in or having no social connection, those are traumatic experiences that could cause a shift. Uh, loss of a job or career or anything that you've had your identity attached to. Um, so it's not what's what's extreme to me might not be extreme to you, right? And so for everybody, it's a little bit different. Sometimes it's a, several of them together. Like me, I had I need a cosmic two by four to get my attention, you know. And for some of us, that's what it takes. Other people are just happy to, you know, start feeling this welling up of I want something else or I want something more meaningful in my life. I've reached a level of success in my career or in my life. And now I, I'm looking to do something that's service to humanity in some way. So I'm, I experience clients of all of that. And um, so I have to say that it's highly unique to everybody. All the examples you pointed out were something negative happening to the person. And it kind of makes me feel like incarnating in the earth, you know, that's where you're going to have negative things happen because on the other side, it's blissful. So that's one of the reasons this is a great place for spiritual growth. I find your choice of words curious and the average person thinks like that. We here on earth are living in a world of duality. See, 20,000 years ago, we fell from this golden age. And our souls have been dumped into this state of amnesia. We're coming into a phase of remembering who we are. And we're stepping out of that third dimensional reality, which is duality and polarity. Right, wrong good, bad, positive, negative. So what if my near-death experience was the most incredible positive thing that ever happened to me? Okay. What if losing that job at the time and losing my marriage was the absolute best thing that could have ever happened to me in my soul's journey? So if we're fearful of losing anything, <clears throat> ooh, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> we're, we're all afraid of, of, of losing or of change itself, right? And that's the very notion. Like one time in Egypt, I was, and I've been back many, many times, um, I was meditating and I asked, what's this great awakening? What is this spiritual awakening all about? And my guide said to me, imagine today you're a caterpillar. Tomorrow, you're a butterfly. Where I keep reflecting is that chrysalis moment. What is that like? Is it painful? What exactly does it go through? And if you try to open a butterfly before it's time, it, it's going to be deformed and, and not survive. So we're in this chrysalis that's not necessarily negative or positive. But we are leaving behind an old version of ourselves that can feel negative. But again, it's our perspective. How do we see that? Does that make sense? Yes. You mentioned well, it's about just a, a challenge to like, okay, well, what if it was different than the way I think? So yeah, our belief systems are being challenged. I mean, what if you could be number one on YouTube? I don't know if that was your goal, but hey, I'm just going to drop that quantum bomb in your lap and let you deal with the success. 
Well, I'd like to, I'd like the challenge of, of having to, uh, you know, deal with that type of success. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think that's where, you know, when, when we talk about positivity and affirmations, I'm not a big affirmations person, but I, it's, it's having that thought, but aligning with the emotions behind it. And also the other trick is being able to release any of those hidden blocks or the unconscious beliefs that you have, like a negative experience, right? Well, that was in the past, you might say. Well, it's not. It's still part of your archive of information, like what I saw in my near-death experience. That really was um, a poignant moment for me and pivotal point to, to see everything very different and to realize, oh, great, I can do something about it. If I've got the right tools, the right swipe tools, or and that's where I started working and practicing with quantum energy. That was back in 1998. So we had very limited internet at the time. I didn't have that word, but I then started to develop these tools that, to heal myself because I was in utter misery. It wasn't for anyone else at the time. You know, we have to, we have to dig ourselves out of our own pain first. And, and it's only when we take, um, that's why I take this so, you know, seriously, because um, as, a, as a healer, as a teacher, as a mentor on the path, my responsibility is for me to, for, to me, for me first. And until I heal myself and process that, I cannot serve you to your highest good. It's, it's pure and simple ego, if I don't. Are we all sleepwalking? And if so, how do we or you wake ourselves up? So there again, it, I don't know if it's an inside job or, or an influence on us. I believe that there's some trigger that flips a switch and we start to look for solutions to releasing our pain, wherever that pain shows up, whether it's a belief system, whether it's a body system, health issue, um, so I think, um, I thought for me, finding someone or a modality that resonates with you, that you're going to stick with, because I know we're on YouTube here, but for spiritual awakening, if you keep jumping around to different modalities, thinking you're going to listen to 585 megahertz, and that's going to trigger everything, you're badly mistaken. It takes rolling up your sleeves and doing some focus. You mentioned about that we need to heal emotional traumas, like maybe we have like a timeline of them. Do we only need to heal the ones in this lifetime or multiple lifetimes? That is a great question. Well, the way I see us is an archive of information. We also carry with us in our energy field, in our aura, past life information. Most of the time, we carry two to three past life information, like lessons we don't want to repeat. Um, sometimes a past life energy field can influence and impress this lifetime. So oftentimes, if people are stuck with like recurring themes or um, 
usually it's a recurring pattern. What, what I often see and is, is that influence of that lifetime, and I can actually upload it and release it into the Akashic Records so that you're no longer, it's almost like a filter or a bleed from that lifetime into this lifetime. So yeah, we, we want to release those past lives that are impressing upon us. But again, we're, we're a combination. You, and even once you think you've healed this lifetime, Again, I think that's a trick of ego, um, but or limited limited linear capacity as a human. Um, we're we're multidimensional beings, you know. And if, when you consider and reflect that we're multidimensional beings of light, just imagine yourself as a kaleidoscope of moving patterns. Is there any end to healing yourself for this lifetime? I mean, I'm asking these questions myself. So it's it's a continuous process. And I liken it to, with all my students, I say, you know what, you brush your teeth today, right? And maybe twice today, or, you know, more for some people. Well, guess what? You go to the bathroom, we have all of these functions, but nobody's taught us how to manage our energy field. We have to learn how to manage it. Because we are energy, because we are light, and we're moving, and it's like a force field we're continually bombarded and affected with outside influences. Therefore, we have to have a continual process of clearing and cleansing and releasing. Just like as I release more of who I am not, and I can bring in or realign with or um, reclaim the power that I truly am. The essence of the light, the essence of my spirit that's bigger than me, and, and, and reaches beyond my capacity to comprehend. The more I can claim that and channel that and be that in the human body without short-circuiting your, your, your devices, then, then the more powerful I am as a spiritual being having a human experience. To instantly manifest all the things that I want. That's what we want. That's what we're here to do. We're here to create. Oh, much how much fun it is right when that law of attraction is working for us it's purely magnetic so i i just keep I, I i really keep it simple i don't like to philosophize because the more we stay in our head the more we get out of the experience what about being grounded that's being present isn't it being very aware it's the first thing i teach people is how to truly be grounded. Now, when I teach people is how to be grounded from the base of your spine. So we've got all of our nerve endings in our spine. I, I envision imaginary cord. Maybe it's a laser beam. I like to use a USB cord with magnets at the bottom of my butt and then straight down to the center of the planet. So that when there's a surge of energy coming out, even for all you empaths out there that have a hard time dealing with everybody else's energy, when, when that's because you're not grounded and your energy field is 14 feet out there and you're stepping in or everybody else is stepping into your aura. So yeah, you're feeling them. But when we're taught to bring in our energy field and manage it, learn how to stay, I teach behind my eyes in the center of my head, teaches me the ultimate center of power. Because then if my center is clear, 
I can see who's lying at me. <laughs> who's sending those lying pictures? What media out there is sending a BS uh, broadcast? <laughs> you know, and who is trying to program me? So that's that's where we start evolving and our wisdom starts to grow. We start seeing things for what they really are and hopefully maintain a sense of calm and neutrality because that's where our true power is. If we lose our power to whether it's politics or medicine or any of the dynamics that are affecting us right now, which I understand, I respect, and I'm not saying they're not real. I'm saying they're very real, that we have to maintain that sense of poise, groundedness, and centered single focus to know how to navigate. And to know what will be the best next step for ourselves. Because I do believe we're here to thrive and to um, share a, a, um, a higher vibration place, planet. And I do believe and communicate with ETs um, that are here to assist us, but they are not in, in um, interfering. This is, again, we are spiritual beings. I know I came from a place called Sirius, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> so, so I know that we have that purpose here. We are that ET having a human experience. We don't have to look outside ourselves. Have you had any contact with Syrians? Many. Pleiadians, Arcturians, and other light beings that some of them, you know, often describe themselves as beyond your star. They call it the sun star. So I, from what my interpretation was in the moment, um, and I don't remember my channelings. I have them written down. Um, some of them are on my website, etc. But I don't remember them all because I'm out of another, in another space. But I remember them telling me, oh, we're from the, um, beyond your star, your sun star. That's how they would describe where they're from. And so it depends. It's almost like, like when you dial into a radio station, the more you can adjust the frequency and raise your frequency and be in that place of accepting the communication, then they'll transmit. Um, I, I'm uh, very blessed and feel their presence with me all the time. My favorites um, I, are the Arcturians that have been coming frequently. I call them blue because they present themselves as blue. But they're most oftentimes, there's not in a human shape or a shape that I would recommend or rec recognize. They're just, so I call them blue. It's easy for me. If you look on YouTube, there are a lot of channelers out there. And I've had some guests that are channelers. Do you think people who are have trouble handling that ability? From my personal experience on the journey and having many friends that were channels, I am a channel, but I'm a conscious channel for the most part. I mean, I might not remember it, but I'm aware of it and I can write and do some things. I've, I've had acquaintances where they were trans channel. They don't remember anything. And my experience is, yes, they do struggle um, with the physical body. Um, and again, I, I am a proponent of learning 
how to manage the energy in our body. When we start channeling other entities in the body and those higher frequencies stay in the body, that creates a virus malware-like experience in our human frequency. Does that make sense the way I said it? I think so. So the idea here, again, is that based on my awareness in my near-death experience, my job here is to have a clear vehicle. My physical body needs to be as clear of foreign energies as possible to have my own unique blueprint frequency in my human body because I contracted for this body. If I have all these foreign energies, mom, dad, or ETs, everybody in between, um, in my body, it's going to, this does not compute. (laughs) There are going to be breakdowns. There are going to be snaps. There's going to be dis-ease. So you you can uh, formulate your own thought from that point. Mm -hmm. So channelers struggle with lots of times eating um, disorders because they're trying to get grounded, right? So they grab a something sweet or something, a carb to just get back in their body. Um, and I, I, I can't speak for all of them, but I, that's been my observation. And or they get sick very early in their life because the high frequency for an extended amount of time, again, short, short circuits. Do you think they have trouble setting boundaries with the energies? Yes. And I experienced it myself. I mean, I could sit down next to somebody in a restaurant and all of a sudden I don't even know. And I just start talking about such and such and such and such. And they're like, oh my God, I just had that experience. So it's not like I'm intentionally, I'm just having a conversation. I'm not reading their minds. I'm not trying to invade their space. I'm just chatting like you and me. You know, as a Canadian, we talk to everybody. (laughs) For all I know, I've been doing it my whole life and didn't know, which I think is possible. I think think we're all picking up vibes of everybody because we're these amazing sentient beings. We're just getting the clue now. We're just starting to open an eyelid (laughs) and realize, wow, how is how incredible are we? It's so interesting that you said open an eye because I wanted to go to what do you think about opening your third eye? Funny I said that, huh? Ha-ha. Um, well, there again, um, it's one of those things I noticed a lot of people knew on their path. They were like, yeah, I want to open my third eye. Yeah, that's really cool. And I remember years ago, I used to be fascinated with tea, tea leaf reading. Um, and I would go with my friends in high school. And I remember telling the psychic, she told me, you know, you're very psychic. And I'm like, yeah, well, whatever. But yeah, how do I, how do I become more psychic? And she says, she says, do you really want to be psychic? And I go, yeah. She goes, what are you going to do with it? Do you realize there's a responsibility with being psychic? And, you know, that's stuck with me for all these years. And I think that's one thing that message that's not coming through. It's all real sexy and fun and exciting, you know, to explore this. But, you know, we do have a responsibility because it can damage. It can be damaging to yourself and it can be damaging to others. So there's safe ways to open that third eye. But I have to say that it's it's like our, our chakra system are like refining a tuning fork. 
you know, they all work together. So if you've got a lot of blocks in your first, second, and third chakras in the lower part of your spine, then you're probably going to have a hard time opening up your th third eye, your sixth chakra up in the center of the forehead. So they work in harmony with each other. And the more clear, the more healed, or some people refer to it as the shadow. I call it the blocks, our family trauma. The more we purge and release and dissolve that, the more our natural abilities just open, shine. So yes, in the beginning, we're all excited and surprised with the phenomena of seeing Aunt Bessie that died 20 years ago in the corner of the living room or, or you know, talking to your grandfather or um, knowing that you should just go out today and buy that lottery ticket and boom, you win. So it's just having this information tapping in, but it's normal. It's normal. It's not exceptional. What advice would you give to near-death experiencers who have trouble um, processing their NDE into their lives? Well, first of all, I understand. Been there, done that. Um, back in 1998, there wasn't a lot, there wasn't anybody I could talk to about it. And anybody I did talk about it, uh, my own family kind of ostracized me. And so, yeah, um, it's very common for near-death experiences to start developing psychic abilities and exceptional healing abilities and to also divorce. It's also common because they're so different that their partner no longer recognizes them. Um, it's also common for near-death experiences to have no account about money or to just disregard money. Um, so I find that fascinating, but the psychic abilities and the healing abilities, again, first, we have to heal ourselves. So whatever trauma or, um, or shock or new ideas that you're challenged with, I think the first step is to start clearing what is not you so the real you can shine and um like i said i was stuck in that depression state for a good nine months and uh, i went to about 12 different psychics asking them to tell me what happened because the, the conversation around near-death experiences wasn't happening then i didn't dare go see a psychologist I figured at that time they would throw me, throw, you know, lock me up and throw away the key. <laughs> so um, I stayed away from that route, but every psychic told me something different. And I was mad as heck. And I just thought, well, this is for the birds. And I said, after being mad at God and having a temper tantrum and being even more angry and angry and angry, um, I finally got the message, you know, it's an inside job. Mm. And I've got to get the answer of what happened to me. When you say inside job, I don't know if that means internally or something conspiratorial. It could be both. <laughs> uh, we start seeing into conspiracies that aren't. <laughs> That's reality, right? Well, our my reality has shifted a lot over 20 years, 24 years, you know? And uh, so, you know, again, I've been on the path so long that it's all, it's also kind of like and... So, you know, so the truth is coming out about liars and cheaters and, you know, kind of no big surprise to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean to sound like I'm arrogant knowing everything, but it's just old news to me. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it, oh, yeah, okay, so 
<laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that a lot of near-death experiences have money troubles. Do you see that a lot of them go broke or something? I see it a little different than the way you worded it. I It's not that they have money problems, although that may get to that, but they have a disregard for money. Like money doesn't become their ultimate motive. Mm. Like my first and foremost agenda is to help people wherever I go, whatever I say, whoever I sit next to in a restaurant, just to be me, all of me. And if, if that involves an exchange, great. But it's funny because I often, you know, dismiss it. Let's just say that it's a dismissible thing for me. It's not the primary focus. So your world completely shifts. You become focused on service and the truth versus agenda or control and manipulating. Because I feel now if I start to analyze it, I think money is a force of manipulation and a force of control. So if we no longer have that hook, yes, I get that we need that in the 3D world, not dismissing that, but the more we're able to manifest and come into alignment, we are synchronized with having, again, having the clarity to be able to focus on what we want to create and having that come in. Perhaps it's a deliver just on time factor. Like, okay, I get the money just as I need it. So there's a lot of nuances, you know, and I don't know that we can absolutely, you know, create a cookie cutter here, formula for absolutely everybody. Uh, We all have our path, but it becomes less important. That's for sure. All right, Amira, I'm running out of time. So (laughs) I I need to change gears with you here. You are an author. Can you tell us the titles of your books and where to find them? Yes, my most recent book is called The Essential Guide to Spiritual Awakening. Um, you can get the ebook on my website. It will be on Amazon before long in the heart in the soft cover book. Um, and the other book I have is um, Manifesting Miracles 101, The Art of Being in the Flow. And that is more of a guidebook, a how-to book, and will guide you through the process of clearing your chakras and manifesting. So uh, my website is amirahall.com. That's A-M-I-R-A-H. H-A-L-L.com. Uh, what else do you got going on that you'd like us to know about? Well, a magical transformational journey to Egypt in October of this year, 2022. Um, we are going to Egypt and it will be, um, I promise, an off the charts spectacular event. We're going to be meditating inside the Great Pyramid in a private um, ceremony on the full moon eclipse. And this is all about activating soul codes and quantum levels of your starseed lineage. It, um, it, it's it's going to be, I, I, I don't want to say mind-blowing, but it's spiritually activating. How about that? Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about that. Anybody that wants to participate, go to my website. The, the link is on the, on the page. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit-chat with you. Are you open to that? And if so, how do they reach you? Yes, yes. You can email me. um, You can contact me on my website. There's a contact me page. Uh, You can, yeah, 
download my stress buster. Okay. It's a guided meditation on my website and it can get you going, start flowing, (laughs) clearing some blocks and help you understand what an energy shower feels like to just start healing yourself. And so that's my purpose and I'm here to help as many people as I can. So it's my honor to to connect with you. Getting back to Egypt, what is your favorite place that you like to visit there? Oh man, that is a tough question. You put me on the spot. Um, I, I would say there's a small little temple that's hidden away at the temple of Karn- Karnak Temple in Luxor. And it's dedicated to the goddess Sekhmet, who came to me after my near-death experience. And people have had profound experiences with Sekhmet there in that quiet little chamber. It's a very small little room that's sort of half under the sand um, that's off the beaten path. And it's it's private. We arrange for special access and uh, it's truly magical. I've seen her wink at me and her little whiskers on her granite statue. Okay, this is a you know, 10 foot tall granite statue, the little whiskers smile. And I've seen her hand lift off her scepter and just wave at me like this, so gentle. And other people standing in the room have witnessed the very same thing. All of us were completely silent while we were in there. So it's truly, uh, it's just truly magical. All right, Amira. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes. You're here to be all that you can be. So step into your divine flow and purpose. I'm here to help you with that. Amira, thank you for that message. And thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you. Many blessings to you also, Jeffrey. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.